Would you join me in praying again as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we've come to meet with you. We've come to celebrate our risen king and we've come to meet with our risen king. Would you make your presence known in this place today? May you increase and I decrease. May your people hear your word spoken from your lips this morning. Come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, starting the service, Easter uh, is my favorite Sunday, and not just because I'm a pastor and you're supposed to get excited about Easter, uh, but because I believe Easter we celebrate the resurrection, and the resurrection is the crown jewel of what it is to be a follower of Christ. The resurrection is the crowning achievement of Jesus' work. We focus regularly on the cross, uh, monthly here. Some churches do it every week. People do it differently, but regularly we do, in accordance with Scripture, we remember Jesus' death through communion. We remember his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and many of us, that's where we live. We live, when we think of Jesus, he's kind of still on a cross, you know, and, and we've talked before and you've, you've heard there's a kind of a cliche saying of when he spread his arms out, he said, I love you this much, that kind of idea. And we can live as if he's still back there on the cross, still shedding his blood for us. And we're, we thank you and we're grateful for that. But sometimes we forget, you got to turn the page. He rose again. I wonder if we focus enough on the resurrection. I had mentioned, uh, again, as earlier in the service about, I woke up in a good mood. And not just like, I got enough sleep and like the birds were singing. Normally I wake up and I'm like, man, what do I got to do today? But this entire week, in preparation, I've been focusing on the resurrection. I've been reading the story. I've been uh, putting together a message on it. And my mind has just been focused on the resurrection. And I'm going to tell you, like... When I woke up looking forward to worshiping with you this morning, that's not my normal. Not that I dread worshiping with you, but I don't wake up chipper. That's not me. But this week, I have been so focused on the resurrection, it's begun to transform the lens at which I view the world, my life, my calling, my family. And I wonder, do we focus enough on the resurrection, or is it just that one thing we do that one day, once a year? We are to be resurrection people. This is a time that we, we, it's on the calendar, don't forget. But it's not the only time that we should be coming together and just remembering the resurrection. There is power in the resurrection. We're going to be reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be jumping all over the place, but that's kind of where we're camping out. Uh, if you have your Bible and want to turn there, all the passages will be up on the screen, uh, but sometimes it's nice to have your own Bible open. That's going to kind of be home base for us. Starting uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, Paul speaking, and he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. All right, so Paul's kind of setting the stage and he goes, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. 
And he says, this gospel is of first importance. This gospel is foundational. Miss this and you miss everything else. Paul has just written 14 chapters on what it is to live like Christ, to love like Christ, to come together and be the body of Christ. 14 very practical chapters. And he starts to end his letter by going, but hey, don't forget, if you miss this piece, nothing else I said matters. This is foundational. He says, this is the thing on which you take your stand, this gospel that I'm about to remind you of. Miss this, nothing else matters. And notice he doesn't just say, uh, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've heard and you remember the story. He says, but which you have received. You've made your own and you take your stand on. You hold firmly to this gospel. There is a difference, church, especially in, in our Western culture, there's a difference between knowing something and receiving and standing on something. Many of, many of us, most of us, have heard the gospel before. We've heard the good news of Jesus, but let me tell you, hearing it, knowing the facts, doesn't help you. That's, that's step one. Obviously, we have to hear it if we're going to move forward with it. But so many have stopped there, and they hear it, and they go, yeah, okay, cool. Am I a Christian now? Like, what, what does this look like? Paul says, but those who receive it and stand firm on it. Those who hold firmly to the gospel, those are the ones being saved. Those are the ones that I'm talking to here. So let me just start by this. Have you received the good news? Do you stand firm? Is it the foundational piece of your life? Take that away and everything crumbles. Or is it another thing? Kind of on par with a lot of other things. It's, it's good, and I would agree with it but is it foundational to who I am? Everything I say, think, and do is run through that filter because it's of the first importance. Is that where you are this morning? I'm gonna ask as we go through all of this, we're gonna read exactly what Paul says the gospel is. I'm gonna ask that you would just keep asking that question. Have I really received this? Again, not just heard it, embraced it, made it my own. Is it of foundational first importance to me? If not, if it's in any other order, you're missing it. And you will miss everything that follows. So keep that question in mind as we go on. So here's what Paul says the gospel is, starting in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kepha. Kepha is just Peter uh, in the Bible. It's kind of his, his Jewish name. That he appeared to Kepha and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is kind of his code for have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. So, so let's walk through this a little bit. Here is the thing that is of first importance, the thing that is foundational, the cornerstone of a follower of Christ's life. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that when, when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't because he was a bad guy. It wasn't because he was too weak to stop the crowd. And he just had to because they had him tied up. 
Like, do you understand, at any point in time, Jesus could have said, I'm done with this. Like, we're not doing this anymore. I'm over this. No more punching, no more pulling out beards, no more crown of thorns, no more heavy cross, no more nails. At any point in time, he is powerful enough, he could have just went, nope, not doing it. He told Peter, actually in the garden, right as he was being arrested, he, Peter pulled out a sword and, and started to defend Jesus. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 Peter. If I wanted to right now, I could have a legion of angels come down and we would be done with this. He was reminding Peter, everything that happens here, I'm choosing. I'm going to the cross because I choose to, to pay for the sins of those that I love. He went and he took our penalty on the cross. Every sin you have ever committed, little or big, the penalty is death. Eternal death, eternal separation from God, and Jesus would have none of that. So he came to make a way, to die on the cross, to shed his blood for us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures just like it had been written about him and just like he had been telling his disciples. We're going through the book of Mark uh, most Sundays here, and Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to raise again in three days, and none of them are getting it. Now you see they finally get it. Oh, he kept telling us that, and it's true. Just like he said he would. There's a pastor uh, down in the Atlanta area named Andy Stanley, and he has this saying, if a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and then actually pulls it off, we follow that guy. Pretty simple. And Paul's kind of agreeing here. Just like had been said about him for hundreds and thousands of years before he ever came to earth, and just like he kept saying, he died, he was buried, and he rose again, we follow that guy. And then he goes on to say, and look, don't just take my word for it. He appeared to Peter and to the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the time who are still living. You, you can kind of sense this. Don't believe me? Go ask them. There are still witnesses around. They saw him. Some of them put their fingers into the nail marks, into the spear wound in his side. They ate with him. They walked with him and talked with him. And they're still alive. Go ask them. This is not something that was written hundreds of years after Jesus and just kind of this lore. This was written a couple decades after Jesus died. The people who saw it were still alive. Paul couldn't just make this whole story up. There were witnesses who were there who would have contradicted, who would have gone, this guy's crazy. I was in Jerusalem. But he says, this happened. There's witnesses. Go ask them. Peter and James, these were like, Paul would call them later, like pillars of the faith. Go ask them. Hundreds of other believers who witnessed this. We use the term witnessing a lot today in the church. Uh, if you're new here, you'll have to bear with me for a moment. One of the things that we do uh, is we actually talk during the messages. This is not your time to just come and sit quietly, but there's interaction. Uh, we believe that God can speak through all of his people, not just me. Uh, we believe that more people than just me have something to say about the resurrection and all of this. Uh, so I'm going to ask a question, and I actually would love uh, your engagement, your feedback with this. Uh, 
We use the term witnessing a lot today in the church. What does the term witnessing mean? Paul was just talking about there's a whole bunch of witnesses. Go ask them. We use the term witnessing in the church today. What does that term mean? What does it actually look like to witness? Does that make sense? Okay, to tell the truth of your experience. Think about a, a witness in like a courtroom scene. They have the witness come up on the stand and they say, tell us what you saw, heard, felt, smelt. What's the last one I'm missing? Touched, felt. Tasted. Ooh. I don't, yeah, I don't want to be in that trial. But there's this courtroom scene idea with witnessing where come and tell us what you experienced. What did you see? What do you have firsthand knowledge of? Okay? What do we mean when we talk about it as a church? We're called to be witnesses. We're called to witness our faith to people. What does it mean? Okay. Sure. You're, uh, you're witnessing to the change that's happened in you. He said your own resurrection uh, the fact that what Jesus did wasn't just for him. He's now doing the same thing in us. Okay, that's good. What else? What does it mean to witness? Yeah, yeah, it's an incredibly personal thing. Uh, for decades, most of the time when you would talk about witnessing, what most people would think of is, oh, beat someone over the head with the Bible? Oh, I can do that. Tell them that they're wrong? That's what witnessing meant. Like, kind of forcibly convince people that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, whether they want to hear it or not, kind of idea. But when you look in context here, where we get the term witnessing is from Scripture, and what Paul is telling people is, go ask these guys what they experienced, and they're just going to tell you their story. He didn't say these guys are then going to go into the Old Testament and show you theologically and irrefutably that Jesus was the Christ. They're just going to tell you, yeah, I saw him. It was crazy. I didn't believe him until he said, put your hand or put your finger in the hole in my hand. And I actually touched it. It was crazy. These men were just going to witness what they had seen. And now we're called to do the same thing. Here's the problem. Most of us, when we think of witnessing, we go, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's what we want to tell people. Guess what? I wasn't there for that. I didn't, I, neither was Peter, neither was James, neither was the 500 brothers and sisters. The part that Paul is saying, hey, I know that this sounds crazy and you're going to need some witnesses for, was the resurrection. The resurrection, I can give testimony to. For us to witness nowadays is, yes, the cross is a piece of it. But understand, the cross is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. It's a means to get to the resurrection. And now we're called to witness. God is alive and well, and he's moving in my life. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you what he promises and what he would love to do in your life. 
We're witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus because if you are a follower of Christ, you've experienced the resurrection. You've had an encounter with the living God that caused you to put your faith in him, that caused you to trust his death on the cross was sufficient. He paid the bill. There's nothing left for you. And now you're invited into relationship with him. You've experienced the resurrection, and now we're called to give testimony, to witness what we've seen. So many times we think of it, if I got to argue people into it, and I got to have all of the answers, to witness is just like Paul saying, look, okay, you go and ask Peter and James, they're probably going to have a pretty theological answer. They were used to, you know, write the Bible. But the other 500 brothers and sisters, normal folks. Go ask them, and all they're going to say is, look, I don't even fully understand it, but I saw it. I can't deny it. I'm different because of it. And that's what we're called to do in witnessing today. Let's continue on there. In 1 Corinthians 15, the church had kind of a growing problem, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection... Uh, of the dead, then, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, catch this, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. There was this kind of growing group uh, in the church, and it kind of came from Judaism and was coming in that said, people can't raise from the dead. Too supernatural, it's impossible, it can't happen. And so there was those in the church who were kind of like, almost getting infected by this and going, yeah, people raising from the dead is kind of crazy. It's a little too out there. So they wanted to do the rest of Christianity, but without this whole resurrection thing. When somebody dies, they just die. And Paul's trying to nip it in the bud, and he goes, no, 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 no. If you miss the resurrection, you've missed everything. Your faith is futile. Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sin. If the resurrection didn't happen, this is all hopeless. In fact, we're to be pitied more than anyone else on earth because we are wasting our lives. That's, that's the state of us if the resurrection didn't happen. And there may be some in here, some who are listening, who maybe you're going, yeah, I don't know about this whole resurrection thing. Seems a little too supernatural. It breaks too many physical laws. When you're dead, you're dead. There may be some in here that, that are kind of taking that stance. I think the, the probably more present danger for most of us isn't that we on some theological level think that the resurrection's impossible. I think it's more that on a practical level, we live as though the resurrection didn't happen, doesn't matter, isn't a thing. We would, we would check the box if we were given a test. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Yes. And that's kind of as far as it goes. Practically speaking, we live as though Jesus is still dead in a tomb somewhere. My life is my own. I'm just trying to make the best of it. 
Not that I have a risen king who is working and moving in my every day, and I've been called to partner with him. That's what the resurrection means. And many of us practically live as though that's not true. We live as though, hey, Jesus, thanks for what you did on the cross. Maybe one day I'll see you in heaven. We don't live, our lives don't reflect the fact that we have a resurrected king alive and reigning today who is moving and working in and through us. And so I wonder how many of our faith is worthless because we're just kind of going, yeah, 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 I know those facts that happened one day, I agree, but we've not embraced the resurrection of Jesus and as David said, the resurrection that's happening inside of us because of Jesus. We have to get into the habit of regularly remembering and celebrating the resurrection because without living into the resurrection, we will never see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. As I was working through this, I was trying to figure out what words to even use because I didn't want to just say without remembering the resurrection because, again, we can remember information without having, having it actually impact our lives. But are we living into the resurrection? Not only do I believe the resurrection happened, I believe that Jesus is raised today, that he is living today, that he is powerful and moving today, and today I'm living into the resurrection. What is it my king is calling me to do? Where is my king leading me? Because he has raised and I'm living into the resurrection. Now my faith will have value. My faith will have impact. Does that make sense, church? I'm getting a lot of masked blank stares. I need some head nods. Okay. Without living into the resurrection, we will never see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. Promises like this, we are not alone. The Great Commission, after Jesus' resurrection, kind of his, his parting shot to his disciples, one of the last things he says is this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Many of us feel alone in the work that we're called to do each day, in the lives that we live, in the place where we are. We feel alone oftentimes because we've ignored the resurrection. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When we lose focus on the resurrection, when in our minds Jesus is still back on the cross, he's still dead in a tomb somewhere, he can only love us from afar. We can say, hey, thanks for that thing you did 2,000 years ago, but now it's just me. Most of us know theologically that's not true, but practically that's how we live. And nothing will make Christianity, nothing will make the Bible feel more like a weight, more like a religion than forgetting that he is with you. And he is only with you if he was resurrected and is alive and well today. We have to put reminders in our paths. We'll go back to the old ways. We'll go back to what I can see is all there is if we don't continually remember, embrace, live into 
the resurrection. When you do, you will have a greater sense no matter how dark your situation is. I am not alone. He is alive and well and able to fulfill his promise to me. He is with me to the very end of the age. Every step, every circumstance. I am not alone because I have a resurrected king. We will have an advocate. Hebrews 4, 14, 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a risen king, a high priest who intercedes. Intercedes means goes between for us, plays defense on our behalf, advocates for us. We have a risen king who advocates for us, who understands our weaknesses because it says he was tempted in every way we are. He doesn't stand in judgment over us. How dare you? but he comes with compassion and advocates for us. And it says that because of him, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's almost as if Jesus is holding the throne room door open for us. Come on in. Boldly ask for the grace and the mercy that you need. God will give it because I'm holding the door open. I've made the way for you. I'm on your side. Come and ask the Father. He's ready to give because I'm alive and active in your life. Because I am alive and actively advocating for you, making a way. Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it, who, uh, or who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, listen, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's going, look, things are pretty dark in my life. There's a whole lot of stuff coming against me. And he's calling it out one by one and going, is this going to separate me from God? Is this going to separate me? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because we have a risen king who intercedes for us. Every time the enemy brings condemnation, brings an accusation, we have a risen king coming alongside and going, that's not true. I took care of that. You're not alone. I'm with you. Whatever comes against you, because I have risen, I'm alive and powerful. Nothing can separate you from me. We have an advocate in the resurrected king. 
if we will stop and focus on it. What, I was surprised as I was going through and putting this message together. For as much as we talk about the cross, it's not in the New Testament nearly as often as you would think. Do you know what keeps coming up? The resurrection. I, sometime it would be super interesting just as you're reading through the New Testament, keep a little tally. How many times does it talk about Jesus' death versus his resurrection? I guarantee you, you're going to come out with more tallies on the resurrection side. Yet how much of our time and energy do we focus on the cross versus the resurrection? The writers of the New Testament were trying to keep putting it out there in front of us going, don't forget, he's not just a guy that died for you and you say thanks. He is alive and he is moving. Because of the resurrection, we have power to change. Romans 8, 6. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, there's an if there, for those who have embraced, who stand on, the spirit of God lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Just like he resurrected Jesus, now he promises us resurrection, transformation, the power to change in this life. When we talk about resurrection, we're not just talking about one day in heaven, though we will talk about that. We're talking about the ability to actually change and transform. We talked about it two weeks ago uh, on a Sunday morning. To become more like Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us who believe. A couple chapters earlier, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That what was dead in us might be changed and we would experience newness of life. All of this because Jesus raised from the dead. And when we focus on the resurrection, we receive power to change, to be resurrected like he was, to come to a newness of life. And a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, we, we've had the blinders torn off, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because Jesus is alive and well, he is powerful, he is advocating for us, we have the ability to be transformed, to look more like him from glory to glory through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is good news, church. Because of the resurrection, we have hope in this life. Earlier in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified, real quick, it, it's a, a legal term, means declared innocent. We came in guilty, but because of what Jesus did, death and resurrection, we've been justified, declared innocent through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul was going, we have been made right with God, and that gives us hope in this life right now, today. And if you notice there, what's the first word in that passage, church? 
therefore. And what do we do when we read the word therefore? What question do we ask? What's the therefore, therefore? So let's go back one, one passage. We've been justified through faith. Why? Because he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I mean, you, you have to understand this, church. The resurrection of Jesus, you ever heard the, the phrase, the proof is in the pudding? The resurrection's the pudding. No resurrection, every single thing Jesus said and did before then was a lie. No resurrection, Jesus died on the cross because he was a liar and it was for his own sin. He was a charlatan. C.S. Lewis would say this, without the resurrection to prove that Jesus is who he says he was, that he was powerful like he says he was, without the resurrection, he says Jesus is worse than the devil of hell. He is a charlatan and a liar. But because of the resurrection, everything he said is proved true. Every claim he made on his own behalf and every promise he made to you is true. He is powerful enough to justify you. You can have relationship with God. You've been declared innocent of your sin because of the resurrection. He died to pay the price, and the resurrection proves he's powerful enough to pull it off. You've been adopted into the family, and his resurrection proves it. Because of the resurrection, we will have ultimate victory. Jesus speaking again, a promise that he made that without the resurrection, he's a liar. But because of the resurrection, it's true. Jesus speaking to a woman, it says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. Jesus says, because of the resurrection, you are going to physically die. Like not because of the resurrection, because of our own sin. We will physically die, but because of the resurrection... We will live despite it. Because of the resurrection, we have been invited into eternity with the Father. Without the resurrection, again, as Paul said at the very beginning, your faith is useless, you're still in your sin. But because of it, we now have eternal promises of glory. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Paul would say this much later in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep again, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What's the thing that gives us endurance, the ability to stand firm, the ability to continue the work the Lord has put before us? It's the promise of resurrection. He says, one day, just like Jesus was changed, 
from mortal to immortal, from perishable, the stuff that rots and fades. Somebody once said all the pinchable stuff was changed to imperishable, things that will last for eternity. Just as Jesus was, one day we will be as well. Some of us will die before that happens and we will be raised to new life. Some of us, if we're still here on the day Jesus comes back, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed to be made like him. We will be resurrected with him. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? What can death do to me? As Paul already said in Romans 8, can death separate me from the love of God? No. We have been made conquerors. We have been given ultimate victory through the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, we have hard days. We have things that come at us that are difficult. If in those days we will live into the resurrection and its promises, we will experience newness of life. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Paul again speaking, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The church at the time was going through difficult things. And how did Paul choose to encourage them? It wasn't just, hey guys, stick with it, try harder. It was, look, I know this is hard, but here's the thing. He is coming back. And when he does, you will be made like him to meet with the Lord in the air. I've read that passage I don't know how many times, and one of the last times I read it, uh, I tried to practice what I preach. I always tell us, you know, kind of close your eyes and try to put yourself into a story. Have you ever tried to imagine raising up into the clouds, like legit just flying, to meet with the Lord? As he comes, is it riding on a cloud? Whatever that even means. It's beyond me. I've tried a number of times, and every time me and the Lord have a good laugh and go, that was silly. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it is so encouraging to my soul to remember that he is risen, and one day I will be made just like him. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Church, we have to regularly live into the resurrection of Jesus. Not just a fact, not just a happily ever after. Boy, that story got kind of dark when Jesus died on the cross. We need to have a little twist ending. He rose happily ever after. That's not the way that it was written. He rose. Now, everything that follows makes sense and is possible. Everything that was promised beforehand can now come to fruition because he is resurrected. He has made good on his word and his promises will be true because he is alive and able to fulfill them. Amen? Three of you? Cool. So by way of benediction, uh, just ending this time, I want to pray a passage of scripture over you. It's a prayer that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, and I just want to read it and actually pray it over you uh, and then 
uh, we'll sing to close our service. From Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord Jesus, may we be made aware. Lord, for those of us who have received the gospel, who have made it our own, who have placed our life on it, May we, as Paul was praying, God, be made aware the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our midst today. Give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to not only just remember the fact, but to live into the resurrection. You are alive and well. You are powerful on our behalf. You are living, working, and moving today and tomorrow and the day after because we don't serve a dead king, we serve a risen king. Lead us, God. Encourage us with this. Help us to encourage one another. Remember, he is risen. He is moving on your behalf. Let us hold firm, God, to the gospel which you have given us. Make us strong for the work that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come, and if you would stand as we close the service with a song.